Hello, welcome to a six-string hayride, your classic country, classic western, and classic rockabilly podcast. Join your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley, for a journey through the world of mama, prison, trains, horses. We've got your hillbilly Shakespeare's from Jimmy Rogers to Hank Williams to John Prine. You want the best guitar pickers in town? From Chet Atkins to Cliff Gallup to Luther Perkins, we've got you covered. All the crazy drinking, dancing, honky-talking, deal-with-the-devil stuff you're going to pull on Saturday night, we're going to help you slip that past your Lord on Sunday morning. Climb aboard the cart. Let's go for a ride. Welcome, everyone, to the Six String Hayride podcast with Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley. Today, we have an incredible first in Hayride history, an actual interview with actual living musicians. Today, we have Dean and Joe with us. They're celebrating the release of their new album called Dino and Joe. Uh, Dino has a really solid background through Wisconsin and Minnesota, and especially the Chicago punk and country music scenes. Uh, he's the guitar player in the Waco Brothers, and they have been tearing it up around Chicago and any place that'll have them for quite a long time now. Uh, I would highly recommend that if you have a chance to see the Waco Brothers live, certainly go online and uh, search around and buy any of their recordings. Check them out on YouTube. You will not be disappointed. Joe Walston comes to us through the Austin music scene most notably with Joan of Arkansas in the early 90s, and later a long run with the Meat Purveyors doing incredible covers, great original music, and Joe has a voice that you're gonna sit down, you're gonna listen, and then you're gonna take her advice on iced tea that comes up later in the interview. So welcome to the Hayride, Dino and Joe, well, first of all, I'd like to welcome you both to the Hayride. Uh, as Jim mentioned earlier, this is our first interview. As we've mentioned numerous times on social media, this is the first time we've actually been able to sit down with somebody and talk to them about a current project. So we're, we're both really thankful that you decided to take this time with us. But before we talk about the new record, let's take a few steps back and go back to the beginning. You know, tell us how you got started. What are your origin stories? Where are you from? What got you wanting to be professional musicians? What is it that drew you to doing this? Yeah, I mean, and so Joe had, you know, 34 years in Austin, but, you know, the first 20 of those probably, Austin was a place like that. It was, hmm. it was cheap to live in and there was cool music stuff going on. And, you know, even, even my you know, probably first 15 years in Chicago, it was, it was like that, that, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, as big a city as Chicago is, it was a hell of a lot more affordable than New York or San Francisco or, you know, so I, I think, you know, creative, great creative things get done in places where, you know, creative types can afford to live because it just, 
to, it's pretty hard to generate a much income from it. So you, you just, you have to, you have to have that low overhead. Well, I mean, I, um, I came to Chicago after an, uh, I, I was in a, uh, a, a kind of noisy punk band called Rec, and we had taken a stab at, at, uh, at doing our thing in New York and were, you know, it was pretty clear pretty quickly that, that, uh, you know, we, we weren't going to make much headway there. And a friend in the music business got me a job at, at Wax Tracks, the, the label, not, not the store. Um, and so my, my first places, my first place when I lived there, uh, was in, Boys Town. I was on, uh, um, but we didn't live there long because, because shortly after, shortly after I moved there, uh, Wax Tracks moved the offices of the label from above the record store on Lincoln Avenue to some buildings they bought at Damon and Wavancia, and so once I saw how affordable that area was i mean i i spent basically the entire time i lived in chicago kicking around i was either living in wicker park bucktown or ukrainian village or humble park all all lots of different apartments but but all in that in that general vicinity you know there was a there was a really shitty place that we rented space uh, out on on, on uh, Ashland, just north of where Division in Milwaukee intersect, called Space Place, and uh, I, I mean, they, you know, charged you like you know, one hundred and seventy-five dollars a month or something for a a room in what was an old office building. And, you know, I mean, that basically like there was no there was no sound insulation or anything. Whatever band was playing next door to you, you could hear everything that that they were doing it was hardly ideal but uh but it was it was what we could afford you know and uh joe from what i've read in some of your interviews south texas background and everything from ukulele to the bay city rollers okay yes that check yes i can confirm all of this i was born in houston um but I did spend some time in uh, some smaller towns in Texas before kind of ending up in Victoria. And then I went to a high school in Victoria and then I ended up in Austin in 84. But um, yes, in elementary school in Bishop, Texas, I had um, in second grade, I had a ukulele class and that's where I first learned how to play an instrument and accompany myself on an instrument while singing which i thought was a, a pretty awesome little trick that i learned i mean we did we did songs like um you know over over here over there do, 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 and the case songs go rolling along you know those kinds of songs you know <laughs> i we uh, my only public school music had uh experience was when they forced us all to play the recorder uh, when oh, I was yeah, in yeah, we did that too. 
<laughs> but they don't even have music class anymore at public school, right? Like that's not. I don't know. I don't it's know. probably an elective stress. or something when you get later on. Yeah, which is sad, you know, because uh, we did have we did uh, in middle school in, in Muskego, Wisconsin, where I uh, where I grew up. Um, we had a music class where the guy uh, the guy had a drum kit and a, an electric guitar and a guitar amplifier and and you got to try and learn how to play like a band you know plays and stuff stuff and That's uh, cool. he also did uh, he also did this really uh, this entire day class on the on the backwards messages that were on Beatles right. <laughs> and I remember coming coming home just you know I'm I'm 12 years old or something I'm just astounded by the uh, by all this new information about the Beatles records that I uh, that I owned you know that I never uh, never knew and I'm I'm talking to my mom about just going on and on to my mom about it and as she's trying to cook dinner and she's, she's finally she's just basically shooed me away <laughs> like I don't want to hear any of this I'm I don't trying, care I, I don't care about the Beatles <laughs> Joe through your time with the meat purveyors and now working with Dean I'm wondering what your process is as a singer, the way you pick a cover, the way you entertain suggestions of covers from the other people you're playing with at the time. What goes into looking for whatever that little spark is in the song that you feel you want to get out there in your own way? It was definitely a group effort, you know? It was definitely a group thing. It was... You know, um, Bill Anderson, his spirit drove much of those kinds of decisions. And, you know, he has a good, he, he has a good, uh, he has good mind with stuff like that. You know, I mean, you, it's, it's tricky. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to do something stupid. Like we did do hot blooded. That was my idea. And that was really stupid. Um, <laughs> that it was the only time that we got like a bad review honestly really wow yeah because of that song like someone in the chicago a uh, chicago paper uh the reader or something maybe might have been peter margasak he 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 loves he, also... he loves free jazz but he but you can't make a living reviewing free jazz so so he makes snarky reviews of other <laughs> I went through undergrad with him and uh, we worked at the DePaul radio station together yeah and um interesting guy 
Well, yeah, I mean, it may have been him. It may have been him. He's done some good coverage of the Waco brothers over the years too. I don't want to. I don't want to rag on Peter, but but it, but he definitely. He's, uh, you know. Circle Sky was Bill Anderson's idea. I'm pretty sure. So one I, of the I thought uh, it was an excellent job with that one. Thank one of the you. one of the things it was really fun to do it. I missed doing that song. One of the things when Joe and I play though that uh, and I, uh, like we do some of the we do some of the covers that the Meat Purveyors did did not that one but uh, but one of the things I like to point out to audiences is that is that Joe came from this background where. She legit had country music going on in her home all all the time. I mean, I'm more of the typical story you hear regarding alternative country, where I'm a punk rock guy that that got interested in country music somewhere along the way, uh, way you know. <laughs> but I didn't I didn't grow up with it. So Joe, it, you know, you know, like an example of something that. Uh, we do uh, uh, is rose-colored glasses, which it's just like that's John Conley, and it's probably '80s or something. It's and, '80s and, country, and, which is usually which is like totally uncool, uncool when it comes to run away. Uh, when it comes to, but know, there's some good ones in there, and that's one of them. Uh, yeah, you know. That's you know. Just That song is just and like with all ass, with all know, and the, it stands up with those songs from those eras like uh, like once you're past the classic era of of the you know 40s 50s 60s like you have to Joe had the ability to hear the good song past the horrible production and that that you're kind of always I didn't know it was horrible production always. at the time <laughs> of people that kind of get into the mainstream and sell some records and still have an impact by the time you get to the end of the 80s you have Steve Earle and Dwight Yoakam making some yeah. good records yeah 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 I mean I I I lived in I lived in Minneapolis from about 84 to 87 or so, and I worked at a kind of import indie record distributor there that was also, the owner also owned record stores there. there. And there was when Guitars Cadillacs 
came out, out. There was one guy we worked with who just played it nonstop. Um, and I was pretty firmly a punk rock guy at that, at, at that yeah. point. And, and honestly, like it, it, it was only in retrospect that I realized for a mainstream hit country record or how great that yeah. uh, that record is compared right. to everything else that was same with you know steve Earl guitar town or whatever uh, uh, whatever you know i mean yeah. that was just stuff that you were not hearing country artists do at, at in on on the radio and they somehow managed to have hits do uh, doing it which was astounding i don't think it could ever happen again again you know it would it would be like trying to imagine Dale Watson having a, a hit on current country ra radio. It's just, it's never going to happen. You know, you know? Sure. Um, what do you think causes that kind of cross pollination between the alt country and the punk? I mean, for example, probably the, the example that most of our listeners will be super familiar with is that Joe Ely is singing backing vocals on should I stay or should I go by the clash and toured with them and was friends with them. Like, what do you think it is that draws some of these alt country people and punk or punk rock people together? Austin. <laughs> well, that didn't all Great happen answer. in Austin, but, uh, um, but, no, that, but that, that is, example, that is, is a huge thing uh, that was happening there, you know, like during the eighties, you know, in the nineties, I mean, still is, you know, I just feel like that that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's Joe, where a lot of that kind of vibe originated in, I feel. Yeah. I mean, Joe coming from this long time Austin background, I, I, you know, I agree from the standpoint that, that like Austin from the late sixties on had this thing going on where, the weirdos and the country people were cross-pollinating and, and that continued when punk rock started happen right. happening the to, the weirdos. to i think if i think it was different in i think it was different in chicago um than than that uh, but i mean the and then I, the Willie Nelson aspect of it, you know, I, and the armadillo and the Willie Nelson picnic. I guess. And, the, uh, and then the Rowles came into, you know, the yeah. punk rock thing comes into play and everybody's like all hanging out together, Liberty Lunch. I mean, punk, country, reggae, and, you know, I mean, bluegrass. I mean, all of those people were all hanging out together that whole time. There was no, like, silos. Yeah. There were no silos. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. It, it seems yeah. like that old tradition of three chords and the truth it could be hank williams it could be eddie cochran it could be joe strummer it, it gets to a yeah. point where if it's good it doesn't matter and people are just going to glom together yeah and i yeah there's a certain like the the artists the more the artists that came from the country direction that you know felt a kinship with the punk rock uh you know element that that the direction that that i came at it at it from i mean i yeah you know three chords and the truth is the old is the old cliche but i think there's a certain maybe more accurately it's like a no bullshit it kind of uh, you know like no bullshit as far as the music is concerned no bullshit as far as 
the music business is concerned too. You know, uh, the idea that that you're just trying to trying to bring this raw, heartfelt music directly to people, and and uh, yeah. and there's no schmaltz involved with it. There's no marketing involved with it. There's no you know. Um, there's a lot of soul. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's there's a natural connection there, you know, and uh, for me, you know, we, uh, my band wanted to, wanted to work after recording a few records with Albini, we wanted to try working with another engineer producer what albini likes to be called an engineer not a producer but but uh, we wanted to try another producer and i was i was a fan of the mecons and a lot of other things that that my bandmate john had done um and so we reached out to him to record uh to record uh, our next record, and when we were in the studio, John and I discovered our mutual love of old honky tonk. Because uh, I was bringing George Jones CDs into the studio to listen to when we were taking a break, um, you know, having lunch or whatever. Or and uh, and so uh, for me, uh, I wasn't really aware that there was other stuff sort of bubbling up around this time you know i mean i mean like texas rubies playing at the gallery and and you know freak water had already started by that at that time um i didn't really know about all of that stuff but then shortly after that recording session john moved to chicago and we started just playing as a duo just doing country covers just for fun in bars and that eventually became the Waco brothers but it was when that started happening uh, when I started doing that then I started meeting all these other people and realizing like hey there's something <laughs> there's something going on on here and I really I loved it because it was it, it was more like what how Joe describes Austin where where like all these people were into what everybody else was doing and and wanted to perform together and play on each other's records and all that stuff and the the sort of that sort of guitar noise scene wasn't really like that that the, it wasn't like a collaborative spirit it wasn't it, it just seemed like everybody what everybody would did their thing and yeah you played some shows together or whatever but uh uh but it wasn't uh, uh it didn't feel like this this happy community like i ended up falling into with the with the roots rock you know scene so um while we're talking about some old chicago music stuff here uh, any good Lynn Bramer story that you would like to share? <laughs> I don't have a lot of lot of Lynn uh, stories. Uh, you know, mostly. I mean, John John was really uh, close with him, and Tracy saw him a lot because Tracy, for a long time, 
uh, did uh, live production work in Chicago. Oh, Tracy Mandolin player for the Waco Brothers. So he he worked for Jam Productions for a long time, and then he worked at at uh, Park West as a stage manager and and uh, House of Blues and stuff. So uh, those guys ran into all those XRT people tons more than I I did. My my some of my fondest memories of Lynn though is just like when the all the years that we did those Cubs opening day broadcasts like Lynn was Lynn was the one determined to get us shit faced at nine thirty in the morning. I mean, the Jeep show we we'd we'd be at you know we bounced back and forth between the Ginger Man and Yoxies because we didn't want to hang out at Yoxies the whole whole time we were supposed to be there. But but we Lynn would be buying us shots and beers at at, at the Ginger Man, and then we'd get to Yoxies and and suddenly this. A bottle of Jameson would appear and and like and it was all lit. it was all lit. I don't know how he made it through the, those broadcasts started really early and le, uh, they went on for hours and and I don't know how, opening day <laughs> I don't know how he made it through through them because I I basically would I only had to do that for two three hours and I was wrecked for the rest of the the day and he's from Wisconsin. <laughs> Right, so there should be an advantage there. And I still like pay attention to what's happening with with the brewers, uh, but I uh, like at this point I would have to have some sort of expensive cable package that I don't want to in order to watch the brewers on any kind of regular or, or basis. So I I just look at the scores online and look at where they are in the standings and if they're in the playoffs I'll tune in, you know, kinda kinda thing. But but Packers on the other hand and that's that's a devotion, you know. So um that's religion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean I'm fully accepting of the fact that the way of the world is streaming at this yeah but point. we did just learn that spotify has an option for musicians to put a tip jar. i don't i've researched that further i don't think that's really a thing so um okay so that anyway we don't have it on our spotify page no, so it's irrelevant don't. whether they do do it or not but uh uh you but have yeah, it on your I mean, website though don't you What's that? The, there was a tip jar on one of the websites. On our on our website, it. yeah, yeah. I mean, so so you can if somebody just you know the the idea that I try and communicate to people over and over and over again is is like if you I fully understand why at in twenty twenty three why the vast majority of people just want to stream music and they yeah. they don't want to own. CDs, yeah. they don't want to own vinyl, all they just, you know, I totally get that. But mm -hmm. if, if people just understand that that streaming pays nothing, and, and that, you know, right. even, even at, even at the low career level that Joe and I are at, at I mean, we've got $10,000 invested in this rec record. So, so, uh, it, it's, it takes a lot to produce something in that, that it's sounds good. good and, and, and you have to 
pay musicians to play with you and yes. and you have to pay to have have the stuff distributed then you have to pay to have someone publicize it and you know so so what i try to encourage people the way to think about it is like even if you're not interested in a download of of our music just go to bandcamp pay for the digital download as like a tip to us or go to our go to our website and hit the tip jar thing and and whatever you can afford or what it, you know i mean it just every little it, bit it, helps. it just helps people at our level keep being able to do what what we do So, uh, Hayride listeners, I do want to point out before we start talking about Dino and Joe's new album, the podcast obviously is in mono. That's not going to do anything that we're talking about justice. You really should listen to this either in front of a high-end system or at least with a pair of headphones or at the very worst earbuds on because you can tell that great lengths were taken to give you a very nice stereo mix here. So you're going to enjoy the clips you hear on the podcast. Please go buy the album. You can download it on Bandcamp. We'll include a link in the show description. Uh, please buy it and please listen to it in a proper setting. Uh, I also want to point out, so listeners of the podcast know that I feel this way, but Dino and Joe, just to give you two a little bit of background, I'm pretty famous for not liking a lot of the current trends in music, such as extremely long albums that clock in at, you know, 80 minutes, a hundred minutes. <laughs> well, I we, don't we, like that. We did, you, we did you a real big favor then. You did. And I thought it was hilarious because I saw the review from the Shepherd Express that said a complaint at a mere Baker's dozen tunes. The album is over too quickly. Leave us wanting more, I guess. So that was by the local Wisconsin paper, the Shepherd Express. Yeah. Uh, to me, the record clocks in just under 31 minutes. Uh, again, there's a number of reasons I love it, but thank you both for doing that. I like something that I can sit down and listen to in one sitting. I want to be able to listen to it if I commute into work or if I'm driving on a road trip somewhere. I don't want to have to tell my wife, okay, I'll see you in an hour and a half when I'm done listening to this album. So thank you. Well, I would say that that the trend for long albums started when people realized they could fit 80 minutes worth of music on a CD. And but you know what? I mean, that's basically a double album. And and very very few artists are capable of making a double album that you want to hear everything all the tracks that are uh, correct <laughs> um so i mean our i i uh, like i wouldn't have minded this being since all the songs are about two minutes long long i wouldn't have minded it maybe i can see blaine at the shepherd expresses point maybe 15 tracks might have been uh, might have been the perfect length for it 
but I think we were sort of inspired by the by the old country vinyl that we listened to all the all the time and there's generally 12 songs on those those records and the songs aren't long and the songs are two two and a half minutes long like a long one would be three minutes it's you know i mean there's no five minute songs on any of the any of those records so i mean that's that's the that's the music that inspired our music so we we kind of went in that direction with with the album so who all plays on this record so uh the basic tracking was was done with joe playing acoustic guitar me playing electric guitar and mark rubin playing upright bass so if you guys aren't familiar with or your audience isn't familiar with mark rubin he was in a fantastic austin band called the bad livers and uh, they were one of joe's inspirations uh so we were we were thrilled Punk rock bluegrass yeah uh we used to walk down to go see him every monday night at the saxon hub we lived a block away me and bill anderson were living in the same house the rent on the house was 250 dollars a month this was uh 1990-ish but we we were on Kenny Avenue in South Austin, and we would just walk over to Saxon every was it Sunday night or it was Sunday night. It was every Sunday night the Bad Livers would play there, and we were just like, we gotta we gotta get a band to sound like this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like this is the this is the sound that that we want you know to do, and we did our version of it, which is totally different than the Bad Livers version of it, but it's. It's like high octane, sort of bluegrass inspired, punk rock inspired, you know, just. And so that that was how that was how we every every track started uh, was with that that bass, and then we had different musicians uh, flesh things out out on different tracks, but but probably uh the one who appears the most and has the biggest uh, other impact on the sound would be beth chrisman who played played fiddle on it and beth uh another old friend of joe's uh that she met when uh meet preveras went to fairbanks alaska to play at the university up there on february of 20 or something like that um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, Beth was there. She had just started learning how to play the fiddle. Her and this girl that she was in a band with, um, they were they were doing Meat Purveyor, Meat Purveyor's covers and wowing the people of Fairbanks with Meat Purveyor's covers. So so they like they were like, come on up here, and they like took care of us. They took us on dogs a dog sled adventure. Like we were, we were, we were, we had an Alaskan adventure. We had like a, you know, this power and savagery of the, of the <laughs> great Northern wilderness kind of experience and um, had a great time. Uh, but Beth, Beth ended up moving to Austin and, uh, and just kept getting better and better and better on fiddle. And, and was and, really good at uh, networking and like and, yeah. knowing. I mean, if you're a fiddle player in Austin, you're always, in, in, especially if you're good, you know, you you are gonna gig, you are gonna gig. People need you, people yeah. want you. So she 
she played with uh, uh, and continues to sometimes play with Melissa Carper. Yeah, and, Carper uh, And she also played uh, with a legit great honky-tonk guy named James Hand, yeah. uh, who passed away not too long ago. Oh, but a real deal, like Total. Texas honky tonk like guy, fifties, forties, and fifties honky yeah. tonk guy. Great singer, amazing great singer. So we were we were thrilled to get Beth to play on the record with us. I used my Chicago connections to get Robbie Folks to uh, play, do a little flat picking on had, a couple songs, and then we got the local talent. And then we got some local guys to play on it too. So the the record was recorded and engineered um, by a guy named Chris Stafford, and Chris Stafford is a Lafayette guy who uh, he plays every single who instrument. plays every single instrument really better, well, better than anybody plays it. Uh, uh, you know, and pedal he, steel. So he played he played pedal he played pedal steel on the record and and, and engineered it. He uh, he play he has his own band called Fofillet. But he plays with uh, he plays with Casey Jones. Uh, with Casey Jones. Kelly he Jones. plays with Cedric Watson, who are both pretty important music figures here. Uh, and uh, and then we had uh, another great band from from Lafayette is a band called the Revelers, and we got Chaz their Justice. their guitarist Chaz Justice to play uh, on a couple tracks. I think that's it. I think the rest is, yeah. Just to, yeah. I think that's that's the entirety of who played <laughs> on the record. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out, but uh, I don't think I am. From the opening track, which is called "One More Day," I think that track does an amazing job of blending the old with the new. Uh, I think the fiddle and pedal steel are both excellent. And me personally, I found a really nice comedic aspect to the lyrics that sort of reminds me of Heartaches by the Number. I can see if I'm, I can see like uh, maybe a, a Harlan Howard sort of, uh, you know, that sort of poking out at you. I mean, that song, really, that song uh, and one other on the record. Uh, uh, the closing track, Never Going Back, are are really, as far as my songwriting is concerned, they're really just love letters to the classic Ray Price era, yeah. the classic Cherokee Cowboy. I basically sat down and said, can I write some songs that are like these so uh, songs, you know? and the emotion of it is slow, but the rhythm of it is more quick honky-tonk. Yeah, and well, again, I mean, that's... The that's phrasing. The, the, the structure of it is definitely 
that's the Ray Price shuffle is what is, yeah. is what that is. Don't and I and and one of the one of the things we wanted to do. Well, the next record we do, my guess would be we'll probably have a little bit more standard lineup with drums and and maybe electric bass or something on it. I don't know, but we definitely both of us wanted to do a record that harked back to there was an era in country music where drums weren't allowed and so the stand-up bass had to serve as as the stand-up bass and the way the, the guitars were played had to create the drum beat One more day without wanting you so. One more day. In essence, you know, so you've got uh, uh, Mark Rubin is just, you know, a real, a real master at, at, the, at the slap style of bass, which uh, was utilized on, on all those records. And I, I tried to, in a lot of instances, my electric guitar parts are similar to what they call tack guitar are that they used on a lot of those those records where where you've got this little clicky you know thing going on accenting the bass note notes because there's no drums you know so so you have to find a way to make it percussive and move along uh, with no nobody hitting a snare every beat you know kind of kind of thing so so that that vibe that that pacing and feel that you're talking about is you know it's a combination of it, it, it was that. definitely uh, it was definitely something that that we thought about uh going into it that that it was it was a desire to create something you can dance to that doesn't have drums uh, <laughs> on it right. you know kind of dean you've been talking about some of your songwriting approach your style what you're shooting for with these songs i like this idea that you're trying to make kind of a little love letter to some of the classic music when i first listened to one more day on your new record the dino and joe album i was hearing it very much you know like a, a breakup song a regret song it does have a heavy hank williams vibe to it and now you're telling us you know the the trick there or the song within the song is about you giving up cigarettes and i'm thinking about the lyrics again and you do use that symbolism of going up in smoke slowly killing me there's a scent on your clothes and once you connect the dots you know it, it's funny it's also damn clever in terms of the songwriting because you're writing one thing and it turns out to be this whole other thing to the listener and it, it really is kind of the song within the song the the guitar tone the pasting of it the phrasing and the way you deliver the lyric well it's, it's 
it's very oh. flattering. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, but, it doesn't get any better than Hank Sr. Yeah, but, uh, that's for sure. You know. So the next track, Come On Down, which, by the way, uh, Hayride listeners, you can see the video for this on YouTube. We have linked to it on our Facebook page. Uh, the tune itself is just this nice melodic piece of music is that Jim's interpretation of the song is probably the more straightforward one, which is seeing it how it was likely written, which is, you know, like a love letter to somebody. Like when you're sick of being out there, you come here and be with me. But I almost saw it from the other side as being the person that the song is being sung to. It really made me think of these times in my life where I was doing a lot of traveling and didn't really have a home base per se. And this majestic magic feeling that you get when you walk into a place and finally you have somewhere that you belong after so long of not belonging. Um, I also have a specific question about the video since you two have a video for this. Um, who made the decision to go with the cardboard cutout instruments? <laughs> that was that was my my idea. And uh, you're and you're the and I and you know, and yeah. I cut them out and painted them and you know and put the, put the duct, duct tape pickup. Those were cool. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, very it, high art. It is. It's. It was just uh, like you know everything about that ha that video had. To be really kind of rushed to put together because sort of out of our out of nowhere our, our publicists said like are you going to have a video for for this single for the that, single? that uh, like I thought the video came off really well uh, when I first listened to the record. And then when I saw the video, you know, Chris was talking about my different take on it. The only thing I wrote in my notes after the song was seduction by porch swing and iced tea. That was just kind of the yes. vibe that I got, you know, that yes, was the that invitation in the song. You wouldn't believe how much iced tea this one drinks. Oh but, my gosh. Uh, uh, like, just gallons, <laughs> gallons, fresh brewed iced tea, lightly sweetened. I don't, I mean, I like sweet tea, but lightly sweetened. No lemon. I don't need lemon <laughs> interfering with my tea experience. They're going to put me in the movies. They're going to make a big start out of me. Make a film about a man that's sad and lonely And all I gotta do is act naturally Well, I'll bet you I'm gonna be a big star Might win an Oscar, you can't never tell The movie's gonna make me 
a big star Cause I can play the part so well We both had that experience yeah. where where we hear hear someone we hear someone singing a song and it's like wow that's a great song and then didn't realize like oh that's not their song that's somebody else's and then right. we, we've we've gone through that same process and ourselves and then find the original you know? and go wow i yeah. totally see why that person like yeah. totally loves this song i love this song now yeah. Yeah. i want to do this song now yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah. I, my own experience with that was being a stones fan as a kid and then realizing that so many of those songs on the early albums were blues songs. And today yeah. I'm a relatively knowledgeable fan of the blues, but it, it started with that kind of yeah. you know, hearing a rock band sing a blues song and then saying, huh, I should listen to that. Hearing John Lennon talk about Sun Records in interviews and saying, huh, I should listen to those. Yeah. 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 Going back to the, to the, to the source, the, the root of it all. I mean, that's, that's roots, you know? Yeah. That's roots music. That's that's what we're drawn to. You know, we want to get, we want to go to the source. You know. Well, it's a sort of method I like to use in songwriting, which is to you know, which is to write things that sound like relationship songs, but aren't really relationship so songs. You know, I mean, the 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 promise unfulfilled is the promise uh unfulfilled of this country yeah it's not it's not really about someone's relationship that's gone sour sour or something you know so, which i feel like comes um, up again later in one of the songs later in the record and you know we were we were talking we were talking earlier about disillusion the, the first track one more one more day that's not a political song but it but it's another example where i use this method one more day is actually i wrote about quitting smoking and it's not it's not about a relationship at all, at all. you know so um metaphors yay yeah. they're fun <laughs> well, that's so i fun. you know okay, i'm gonna go get my bong <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, all the songs were great. All the performances were great. All the harmonies were great. The yeah. instruments were great. But to me, know. to me, there's, there's, <clears throat> there's Bill Monroe, there's the Stanley brothers, and then there's everyone else. Uh, but the two things I really enjoyed about this song, uh, your your version of the song, I should say. Uh, first of all, I I like the way you gave the fiddle so much room to run. And I love that Joe was the one singing the lead vocal here, because this is a song 
in the tradition of like long black veil where you're calling back on the idea of there's a punishment for getting involved with another man's wife you know so you would just expect a man to be singing the song I mm -hmm. love that Joe was doing the vocal here. I love the fiddle playing on this. I just enjoyed the song. I don't know if you noticed too, like like one of the things Joe sort of insists on, like when we do covers like this, is she does she doesn't ever change the change the gender of from yeah. the original. I caught that. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you I, know, just, uh, I mean, it's just I want it to be sung how it was sung. That was the what are the lyrics to yeah, the song? Yeah, you know, I just, yeah. It just seems like. Yeah, but uh, I mean, that really probably was only a decision based on the fact that it was a song that you brought to the table yeah. on, like, uh, it was just obviously one that, that you were going to sing the lead on, on um, because yeah. uh, it was one that I you just, feel so strongly yeah, about, uh, just, about that I, it made, I, I was made bonded. sense. Wouldn't it made sense to just hand it over to me and have her just sing yeah, harmony? Yeah, I was just bonded with it. Yeah. But, oh, go ahead. You, go ahead. you know, another element about these song, these bluegrass songs that we're talking about too, is that that uh, you know I should I feel like is worth noting. Um, yeah, is that because we're I am like the furthest thing from Billy Strings in the world in my abilities on <laughs> on guitar. Are um, uh, you know we we find these great bluegrass songs, but we are in no way attempting to perform them in a bluegrass manner. Uh, part of that is the lack of skill. <laughs> I can't. I can't flat pick like those guys flat uh, flat pick um but part of it is is more intentional in that that we want to we want to put these songs in a different light because blue uh, was or something you know so so i mean there's a great uh, there's a great quote that i always think about uh with uh luther perkins johnny cash's guitar player who uh you know obviously there are a whole lot of really flashy guitar players around at that same time and and luther had his <laughs> his thing that he that he did which was decidedly like simple straightforward or, or uh plunking the bass notes kind of kind of thing and someone asked him one time like like luther hey how come how come you're not playing all this fancy stuff like Hank Garland does or, or you know, people like, like that, that? And he said, they're looking for it. I found it. And... <laughs> feel like I'm 57 years old it's time to stop looking for it at this point <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I know what I can do and what I can't and we're going to keep it simple it's you know? very <laughs> it's black but yeah okay. I mean that's 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 my 
for whatever reason, that's that's the guitar that it feels like an extension of me. Like I, I've I've owned dozens of guitars over the years, and that's the one. You know, I mean, it, uh, it really is the classic country guitar, and you can you, the Gretsch's are probably the only other one that you could put in that uh, argument. How? What year telly is it? How is it set up? Uh, you know, it's not a it, it, like nobody's gonna nobody's gonna think it's like a really cool era or anything. So I mean, I got it in uh, I guess the it's it's early '90s. It's an American standard, so it's like the cheapest American-made one that they they made at the t at the time. I have done a little altering of it over the years so for guitar geeks out of there it's out there it's got it's got seymour duncan vintage 59 pickups in it in it and uh um and it uh i forget the name of the company but i i wanted to have i wanted to have all the electronics like all the wiring upgraded and there was a uh, there was a company that that just makes a kit where rather than the sort of good but not great stuff that Fender originally put in those guitars, it all all the wiring, all the pots, and everything are are top quality, and the right resistors are in there that all the all the guitar geeks geek out out on and stuff. And so I just bought the kit and then had my guitar tech in Milwaukee at the time install it all all for me. So it's so it's a little. Uh, it's modified to a certain extent, and, uh, um, and also I I broke one of the tuning pegs, so there's there's a there's a non-standard tuning yeah. peg because I I couldn't I couldn't buy just one original Fender one. You had to buy a whole set, so I put a Grover one one on there because I could buy one at a time. You know? I mean, really, the Telecaster is the country music guitar. Uh, we're Chris and I are both at various stages of dabbling with modifications to our Telecasters. I I really appreciate your point. And I think especially in recent years, it, it's really true that a musician is going to buy the guitar that they can afford. And then it sort of becomes a project that you add parts to here and there. You change the pickups, the tuners, whatever, and you sort of hot rod it from there. Just crossing the halfway point of the album, we come to Merlin. And Dino, you had mentioned earlier how you're getting the ticking sound from your guitar in some songs. And I always kind of think of that as the walk the line Johnny Cash railroad rhythm. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think this, although it's prevalent on a number of tracks on the on the record, I think this is probably the best example of it on the record. I also really it's probably my favorite song on the entire album i really love the way that you managed to tell this incredibly compelling story in so few words you know like i don't know if either of you are jim ford fans right but when you think of jim ford and songs like harlan county or love on my brain not that those are not excellent songs they are but they're incredibly wordy almost to the point where it's too much. And it's this neat story that if it was just told in half the words. So is that your punk rock mentality showing again?
I don't want to write five long verses to, I, I start to feel like I'm belaboring the point, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of thing. And, and I, there is a connection with more old timey music. And like a lot of, a lot of times when you, when you look at bluegrass songs or songs that predate uh, bluegrass, well, you do have some that are epic and have like eight verses or whatever, but, but a whole lot of them, it's like, two very short verses yeah. and one of them gets repeated, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, kind of thing. And I, I think I'm, I, I'm more inclined to, uh, to write in that manner. I mean, um, this song in particular, you know, has, is sort of an amalgamation of, of songs, uh, of stories Joe has told me about her East Texas relatives and uh so it a lot of drinking a lot of mental issues a lot of fights it's a story but it's not a true story it's because it's kind of because it's sort of an accident like i just i just took a bunch of stuff she had told me about various relatives and 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 mishmashed it all into into one one thing uh uh, but one of those relatives was named Merlene, uh, which was the initial fascination for me coming from up north, like the idea of somebody being named Merlene was fascinating to, to me. Merlene like was my grandmother's sister. And down, 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 which is the Rose Maddox cover. Uh, you know, it's a super bouncy and fun song. Who doesn't love Rose Maddox? I think we stumbled upon that song together, or, yeah. but but more on like more because we were on some sort of uh, Buck Owens jag and and like That's ended up ended up listening to a bunch of Bakersfield stuff that was recorded at uh, around the same time, you know. know this about us we both we both have probably a, a problematic 
obsession, obsession with George Jones. <laughs> Jones. You know, I'm glad we talk about you know, George not... Jones a lot, and the only other singer we've compared him to is Roy Orbison. Because these guys were yeah. walking around like a three-minute opera. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it, I, I think Orbison's probably the only one that comes close. We uh, partly because of the old Mel Torme thing, and then the the possum bit. But yeah, we called Jones the Velvet Possum. <laughs> uh, that, that's, nice. Yeah, he, he's I like definitely that. one of our favorites. Absolutely. I forget who I had some relative that. And some conversation, uh, Mel Torme was brought brought up, and with some older relative, I can't remember who who it was, but but she said, "Oh yeah, the Velvet Frog." <laughs> wow. like, no, no, it's fog. It's not. Oh, it's <laughs> too many letters. That's that's one of the really extraordinary tracks on this record in terms of the story and, and the narrative and just the way the whole thing kind of comes at you. For, for whatever reason, I mean, I wrote that song a few years before we made this record and for whatever, I, I, I do a lot of solo acoustic gigs and for whatever reason, that song has been the one where like, I just get more people coming up to me after shows saying like that's me how, how much they love that song <laughs> song you know than than probably anything I've ever written written I I I don't know what I don't uh, I mean I'm proud of the song but I don't I, I don't quite understand why that's the one that that everyone seems to to react to but uh, but i'm glad i had one <laughs> i think it hits at that real core uh the thing that johnny cash used to talk about that he's always kind of wrestling himself for redemption yeah uh, and, and regardless of what your sin or your fault is that kind of wrestling with yourself i i don't think that ever stops during a person's lifetime and i think the way you capture that you know, it, it kind of triggers that in people that I, yeah, I, I, you know, maybe not the specifics, but the, the sentiment behind it, you really latched on to something kind of universal there. Well, uh, it seems that way, I guess. Uh, I mean, I, it's also extremely clever. The way that you wrote the lyrics and the way well i mean I, I i definitely yeah. tried to you know it's it's definitely not a song it's not just a dour depressing humorless song uh, song you know i mean it, it's it's definitely like approaches wrestling those demons with some some light-hearted elements it kind of hits it in there for too. me in the same way amy winehouse i tried to they tried to 
get me to go to rehab? And I said, no, no, no. You know, like, right. I feel like it has that humor, but it's yeah. also kind of edgy and it, it's just clever, you know? And I really have to hand it to you. When I listened to this song for the first time, one of the things that struck me is this song sounds like it would have been perfect for George Jones to cover if he were still alive. Never going back. It's an excellent way to end the album. Again, the imagery here is incredible. The idea of, I once had a job in a liquor store selling half pints and cigarettes to college kids and the clergy, the town board and an anchorman. It's so easy for the listener to see. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, will identify with the theme of trying to just keep moving forward to escape what you were born into. Uh, and also, I have to say, uh, I really love the phrase gainfully unemployed. That That's just, that's very nice. Never. Well, thank you so much to the both of you for joining us. Is there anything you'd like to say uh, before we wrap this up? Well, I mean, thank you guys so much. And uh, I'm honored that you chose us to be uh, uh, your your first contemporary artists to, uh, to yeah. delve into and your first interview views to do. I mean, it's uh, hard to interview dead people, like you said. <laughs> so, yeah. Difficult. <laughs> Um, it, but, uh, this is great for us because you know Chris is from Texas, I'm from here, and I'm a Packer fan. Uh, so you guys are really the perfect pair, you know. Full circle, folks. Thanks for sticking with us through this interview. We hope you have learned a lot about two incredible and very active musicians in the country music world, Dino and Joe. Their music is available, even if you want to go back to the Meat Purveyors, the Waco Brothers, and all the different stuff they've contributed to our hearts and our ears. They are on the major streaming services, but hardworking, regular folk musicians like Dino and Joe really aren't able to rely on what comes from streaming because it's not a lot. So go to Bandcamp. Go to their own website, look for them on Facebook, buy the record, do one of the PayPal type tip jars, really appreciate the spirit and, and the effort of some fine musicians. A lot of people that interact with us on social media complain that there's no good new country music. Dean had mentioned earlier, you don't really catch it on the radio. But this is 
the scavenger hunt worth doing? Look around online, look at Bandcamp, pick some things on a streaming service and just try your luck. But support your hardworking country musicians, rockabilly, honky-tonk musicians who are not getting on the radio because these people are making the music you love. You have to put in a step or two to find them. But boy, your head, your heart, and your hips are going to love you for it. Take our advice. Buy this record. Dino and Joe, have, like I said, check out the Wacos. Check out the Meat Purveyors. Buy the Dino and Joe album. It's fantastic. Thanks for being with us, guys. As always, we'd like to remind you to email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Six is spelled out. You can also search us uh, on Facebook as Six String Hayride. Or what we'd really appreciate you doing is finding us on Patreon under Six String Hayride as well. Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the Six String Hayride Classic Country Podcast. We are here for all of your classic country, rockabilly, early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music-themed recipes. And basically, we are here to keep your musical circle rockin', boppin', and very much unbroken. So thank you for sticking with us. We will see you down the road real soon. And again, whether it's in your home, in your community, wherever it is you do your thing, Keep your circle unbroken. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you real soon. Oh, can the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a bitter home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. One of these days, and it won't be long, I'll rejoin them in a song. I'm going to join the family circle at the throne. No, the circle won't be broken by and by, Lord, by and by. Remember, the force will be with you always.